They're going to be singing, God is so good. How many of you understand that already? God is so good. And then they're going to sing, God is still good. Isn't that good? And then they're going to sing Psalm 61. Psalm 61. And I look forward to that. And, and just excited. Well, after hearing Brother Overcash's testimony, I, how old are you, uh, Rachel? Thirteen. Thirteen. Think about it. Thirteen years old was mentioned last night in that testimony. And brother, look what God does. <laughs> Woo! Thirteen-year-old girl playing the piano. And praise the Lord. And singing for the Lord. All these children that God's blessed them with. And I'm sure grandma and grandpa's proud, aren't you? God's good. God is so good. And I tell you, we ought to just rejoice. And uh, so you go ahead and sing for us. Hey! 
and I don't understand, oh God is still good. Clouds of doubt may darken the way, but showers of blessings may come any day. He'll bring me through, and I'll stand and say, oh God is still good. There have been times when I let him down, made my mistake, but still I have found. Stumble and fall, but through it all, God is still good. Mercy still flows from the palm of His hand. He will give grace and help me to stand. Although He knows how worthy I am, oh God is still good. God is still good when the waves roll high. God is still good all through the night. When I know I can and don't understand, oh God is still good. Clouds of doubt may darken the way, but showers of blessings may come any day. He'll bring me through and I'll stand and say, oh God is still good. Clouds of doubt may darken the way, but showers of blessings may come any day. He'll bring me through, and I'll stand and say, oh, God is still good. Amen, yes. Praise the Lord, yes. Amen. Hear my cry, O oh God, unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry out to Thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, that is higher than I, that is higher than I. For Thou hast been a shelter for me, and a strong tower from the enemy. When my heart is overwhelmed, oh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That is higher than I. Hear my cry, O oh God, attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry out to Thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, oh, lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. That is higher than I. When my heart is overwhelmed, oh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, yeah. that is higher than I. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Boy, that's good. Singing the Word of God. Amen. There's nothing better than that. That's right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, young people. I, watch, I look back over the crowd and I saw mom and daddy smiling. Watch that little girl turn around and she wasn't looking to see what we was doing. You know what she was looking for? She looking at mom and daddy back there. She saw mom and daddy smiling. And I saw her smile. Somebody I can cry to. Right. Right. When I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> when the way is getting hard, it seems like it's dark. Amen. Ooh, I can 
cry out to the Lord. Right. And He is my Savior. He is my strong tower. Right. And boy, then it makes me part of the family. He gives me a good heritage. Amen. Among those that fear His holy name. Boy, I tell you what, praise the Lord. God is so good to us. Brother Tim, if you would come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and go this way. I, I can hold on to something a little better, except that second step is a little bit difficult. Oh, it's a blessing to get old. I'll tell you that. Well, we did have one thing this afternoon. We had psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we hit we hit a home run right there. We got them all, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I appreciate being here these days, just a couple of days, but it's been a blessing and I appreciate the folk coming out faithful. Like last night was just a wonderful crowd of people and then this morning a place was packed and this is, my goodness, three-fourths full uh, this afternoon for our afternoon nap. So if you go to sleep, there's a couple rows back there, just go lay down and take it easy. I'm about ready to go to sleep. I take a nap just about every day uh, when I'm preaching, when I'm not preaching, and I enjoy it, and it's about time. So we won't be very long if that's okay. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. And I pray that the dear Lord would help us, help me in these few minutes. I, this is what I know the Lord would have me to talk to you about. And I pray that it'll be a help. And basically, it's to Christians. If you're not a Christian, you ought to become one. But if you are one, uh, you ought to be what God wants you to be in every area of your life. I'm going to read just the last three verses. It's almost like reading the newspaper today or a headline. Joshua chapter 11 and verse 21. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod, Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their division by tribes. And the land rested from war. I think if you, see, if you read that and take it all in, my question to you this afternoon is this. Are you sure that you've dealt with the enemy? Are you sure you've obeyed God and killed all the giants in your land? Now the Bible says in Deuteronomy 9 verses 1 through 3 they have been commanded. God had commanded Israel to destroy the children of Anak. They were, the Bible says they were great and tall. Uh, most of them played for the NBA I think. But this was not just a, a challenge. This was a command of God. Uh, it's, a, it's a carnal battle that they had to deal with these people. And I think it's time to learn in our lives that we, when we compromise with the enemy, it's going to cost us. That's right. When we compromise with the culture, 
The culture of today is rock bottom evil out there in the world. We were over at the preacher's house uh, having a little snack uh, just a little bit ago and his daughters had been teaching him words. I don't even know what they meant. I couldn't even tell you what they were, but they would tell their dad, I thought, like being woke. What was that other word? Uh, what? Pick me. Pick me. It's something to do with, I want everybody to look at me, I guess. Is that, am I correct? Like an egotistical maniac, that sounds like to me. But we have all these things that don't make a lick of sense at all. And really, we, if we would somehow get it in our mind, someone was here uh, this morning that used to work with Brother Roloff, and, and Brother Roloff used to sing, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. Right. And he died in 1982. Yeah. So you know how much difference it's become in our land. And we have a threefold enemy. The Bible's very plain about it. First John chapter 2 and verse number 16. For all that in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Yeah, so we have to deal with the world and the flesh and the devil. Yeah. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. The world is the enemy of God the Father. Yeah. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse number 4, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. So the world is 180 degrees opposite of God the Father. The flesh is the enemy of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Ghost of God. You say, well, how do you know that? The Bible says that we, we Christians can do a couple of things. We can grieve the Holy Ghost. And we can quench the Holy Ghost. And there's not a born again child of God with, any, with an ounce of maturity that doesn't know when you grieve and when you quench the Holy Ghost. And it's our flesh that brings about that grievance against the very best friend we have in all the world who lives inside of us. Can't get any closer than that. And the devil is the enemy of Jesus Christ. That's illustrated very plainly at the beginning of his ministry when he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights up on the mount. And the devil came to him. And can you imagine trying to tempt Jesus Christ to do those foolish things that he wanted him to do. It's a call. We live in a day. This is a battlefield. It's a call to war with the world. See, we are not living for this world. We are existing for the next world. The one that really matters, that eternal world. The Bible says, be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is not, that roaring lion is not a little kitten to pet. It's an enemy to be aware of. Our adversary. Now, if you were in Africa, I just had a friend of mine, uh, 
less than a year ago, went to Africa and hunted a lion and killed it. A huge male, a bull lion, they call him. The paws of that animal were big as a, a dinner plate, huge. His head was about that big around. And our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, on the African veld, you can hear, it's silent, it's not as loud as, they don't have traffic on the veld. They don't have traffic out in that plain, you know, where the animals dwell. You can hear a lion roaring from eight miles away. Now, not only does the Lord give you warning, the enemy actually gives us warning. As a roaring lion. We grew up on a little street called Luana Drive, a little dead-end street. We were dead-end kids. And uh, the Potter Park Zoo was five or six miles away. And in the morning, early in the morning, if you're outside as kids playing around, we could hear those lions roaring way, five, six miles away. So it's not uncommon. Of course, it was a little bit quieter back then than it is uh, today. But it's a catastrophe to allow the enemy to make the inroads in our lives that he does. And it comes from partial obedience. And that's part of the problem here. It's so interesting how the Bible reads. It says, so Joshua took all the land there in verse number 23. Verse 22, there was none, N-O-N-E, none of the Anakims left. Oh, only in Gaza, in Gath, and Ashdod there remained. They didn't deal with everybody they were supposed to deal with. They left some people alive. And it cost them down the road. Matter of fact, it is costing Israel today. Today. It's just as plain as the newspaper. Gaza, Gath, Ashdod. They're sound bites of today. See, Gaza in Judges chapter 1 and verse number 18, Judah had taken it along with Ashkelon and Ekron. But 230 years later, that's where the giants lived. 238, excuse me, 230 years later, there was a giant arose. Now, it wasn't a giant in height, but it was a giant in white lace and lipstick. And there was a boy there, strong man, in Judges chapter 16 and verse 1, by the name of Sunday school kids, Samson. Samson. And he met a harlot. And then four verses later, he met Delilah. You remember when he that, 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 that harlot and that thing came to a conclusion? He they had him, they thought they had him. He picked up the gates of the city and carried him up and put him on a mountain. This man was a powerful man. But that giant, that giant of sin that we allow in our lives, those Philistine type situations that we get involved in, and it brought him down, down, down. They put his eyes out. He was grinding at the mill. You know what went on. They brought him out to make fun of him. He pulled the whole place down, killed 3,000 of him, uh, of his enemies, along with his suicide. Gaza in Israel's day, back in those days, it's a place of contempt. Today it's a headline in the news. But that harlot wove a chain. Matter of fact, that word Gaza 
It means a shackle or a necklace of shame. A necklace of shame that brought that good man down. Then when you get to Gath, another city that wasn't dealt with properly, 387 years later, it becomes a place of cowardice. A place uh, that revealed a lack of character. For there was a giant that came out. What was his name, class? Goliath. Goliath of Gath. And the children of Israel came out and, and nobody wanted to confront him. And uh, uh, David had come down to visit his family members. And he gets there and he said, what in the world is going on? His older brothers, you know, I had a kid brother. My, uh, this gentleman over here knows my brother Johnny. And uh, Johnny was him. There was a couple other kids in our neighborhood that were just as dumb as my little brother Johnny. And uh, man, we would pick on those kids. And I, I, I'm not even going to tell you what we used to do to them. But we used to bury them. We would bury these kids right up to their neck. And then make them eat worms. That's, what, that's what's wrong with Johnny. He had a, a diet of worms. We used to do mean stuff to those kids. And, and uh, I don't know how in the world I got on that. That was a dumb thing to say. Uh, but we used to pick on them little old guys. And so uh, Goliath came out and made fun and laughed at. And King Saul, he cowered in his tent. Wouldn't even go out. And little David come. Oh, that's how I got to that. And his brothers told him, oh, just go home. Who's watching your sheep? Who's taking care of you? You know, what, what are you doing here? And he said, is there not a cause? Yeah. And he went out with a sling. You all know the story. And that rock hit him right there. Yeah. Now, when that rock hit him right there, it didn't kill him. Because he jumped on him, took Goliath's sword, and chopped Goliath's head off. Yeah. Man, it was, you remember back in the day when we used to have those Bibles, those little kids' Bibles, they were blue and they had a picture of Jesus on the front? But inside there were pictures of Bible events, biblical events. There was the best Bible in the world when you went to church and the preacher got boring. You could look at those pictures in there. There's a picture in there when David cut Goliath's head off. David's standing up on him. He's got a hold of his head and he's holding it out like that and blood's dripping down. When you're 10, 12 years old, that's a lot better than any sermon you could ever hear. <laughs> Just to look at that picture. I, and they got all these kids in here. They must think I'm out of my mind, but I might be. But there, listen, a time will come in every Christian's life when you're going to have to take a stand. That's right. That's right. It may be at work. It may be in your own family. It may be in your neighborhood. It may even be at church. You got to take a, some church debacle. We got to take a stand for God and for what's right and what the Bible says to do. A thousand years later, Ashdod. I mean, Ashdod is just six or seven miles from Ashkelon. Ashkelon is just about a half a dozen miles uh, from Gath, right there where the Gaza Strip is. All that's all right there in that area that's going on right now. But there were giants there of disobedience. And Nehemiah come out and he said, what in the world are you guys marrying these girls for? They were marrying... Listen, it matters who you marry. That's right. 
You way down the road, there's people here married 50 years plus like I have. There's people here married 40 years, long time. It matters. They took wives that they weren't supposed to. The Bible was very plain about it. How they, what they were supposed to marry. Who they were supposed to marry. There's always a place to compromise if you want to. But thank God they were confronted by a man of God. He said, this cannot stand. We're not going to have this. It's not right. God's not pleased with it. And it costs the consistency of their sacred beliefs. We live in a day, now I know these kids that rode the bus, they're not getting much out of this unless a dear Holy Ghost does something in their life. But we got people in our nation and used to go, used to, go to our churches, our fundamental churches. And they're on the internet, they're all over. They call themselves recovering fundamentalists. You know, when they grew up in a fundamental Bible-believing church, they had to dress right. They had to pray. They had to go to vacation Bible school. Maybe they went to Christian school. They had to go to Sunday school. Their mom and dad made them brush their teeth. And, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. They had to take a bath on Saturday night. You know, it wasn't bad taking a bath on Saturday night unless you were the fifth or sixth child in the family. You all use the same water. I don't know how those little kids got clean. Thank God I was the oldest. I got in there first. Those old... And and now they're... I I just want to say this afternoon for the record, I have an incurable case of old-time, Bible-believing, sin-hating, God-fearing, soul-saving, life-changing, Bible-fundamentalism. Now I'm going to stay by the old paths, and I, I would encourage you this afternoon to stay with the old, this old book right here. Thank God for it. Their consistency in Nehemiah's day was challenged, and it was sad. You know, we live in a day, people, you know, they dress almost right and they act almost right. And God help, you know, they talk a pretty good line and they sound okay. But God wants us to be 100%. He wants us to be all in, for lack of a better term. That's kind of a new term, all in. I I, want to be all in in the things of God. He put his he put a hundred percent into us. Seems like we can give a hundred percent back or the best we possibly could. For Jesus' sake. Amen. In uh, Proverbs, and I read the Proverbs every day too. You know, I, I think if you're gonna uh, preach or you're gonna teach Sunday school or you're just gonna be a good Christian, the best you possibly can be, you gotta spend some time in that book. Amen. You know, whether you have it, my dad got old. Uh, couldn't see very well and they made him a Bible at the print shop with print about that tall almost an inch high and of course they don't have you know it wouldn't be much on a page it was great big pages like that and after he got to a place he couldn't do that so he would listen you know you could go you could have the Bible on on your phone nowadays and my dad he listened to a guy now my dad would say son you ever listen to Scurby I said Scurby he said, yeah, he's an Englishman. I said, Dad, his name is Scorby. He said, yeah, Scorby. <laughs> you, know, you couldn't have, you know, he never, he couldn't stand being corrected in his mispronunciation. You could drive up in my dad's drive 
in the morning and he's listening to scurvy and the neighbors could hear it. You could hear it out in the driveway had it so loud because not only he couldn't see, he couldn't hear. But you listen, there's no excuse today for a child of God not to spend some time with the impactful word of God influencing your life. Not impossible. In Proverbs 22 and, and Proverbs 23, there are two verses, little parts of verses that are almost the same. One says, remove not the ancient landmark. The other place says, remove not the old landmark. Now I think we live in a day, a lot of guys, they're moving. They're not, they're not removing. They're just moving. Just a little bit. You know, let's just say this is where we ought to be. You just get over here a little bit. And then, you know, the next generation comes along, you're about over here a little bit. And the next generation, you're over here a little bit. And before long, you're out the door and gone. And not even going to church anymore. It's not vital, it's not important, it's not necessary. God help us. God help us. He said, remove not. Remove not. Don't, don't, you know, don't... my wife, she doesn't do it as much as she used to, but she was really bad for rearranging the furniture. Of course, the boys were home, and so they could help her. She can't, thank God, she can't do it on her own anymore, and I'm not going to help her either. But I would come home and maybe be home at night or whatever, and then get up early in the morning to go someplace, and, you know, the couch was never here before, and then you fall over the couch and about kill yourself. She would move the stuff around. God doesn't want us to move the stuff around. He wants us just to stay by the old paths. And I think some other guys have had that same problem in your lifetime. Dr. John Rice was a great preacher. I heard him tell this story. He told it as true, and I'll take it as true. He said he was preaching in El Paso, Texas. Of course, he was from Texas originally way back. His dad was a, uh, was a state senator or a U.S. senator, one of the two from the state of Texas. And uh, he said, I was in uh, El Paso preaching. And he said, I went across the border. I believe that town's Juarez, right across the border there. I've been there before several times in the past. And he said there was a young man begging alongside the road. And he would say, and if you go, man, they say, there's just stores and shops and all kinds of stuff in that a little town there. It's a big town. And uh, the boy was begging alongside the road and he said, "Uh, one night, one night, just one night, one night, just one night in a bad place with a bad woman and some bad drugs. And it equaled a loathsome disease. You adults know what it was. One night with a bad woman and the bad drugs. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? You know it wasn't worth it. Tremendous cost of sin. What will it do to you? What impact will it have on you and your family? My question at the beginning Are you sure you've killed 
all the giants? Have you dealt with the enemies? The Bible says very plainly. So Joshua took the whole land. Well, the previous verse, there was none of the Anakims. Only. Don't have an only in your life. I've dealt with everything in my life. Only. Gaza, Gath, and in Ashdod, there remain. Don't leave any of that in your life. You say, well, I've only got an Ashdod in my life, or I've only got a Gath in my life, or I've only, I've only got one of the three. God help you to deal with them. Again, the world, the flesh, and the devil. God help us to deal with them properly. Now there's young people in here today you probably don't even have any idea what I'm talking about. But the serious thing as a child of God is to deal with these things and take care of the stuff that you know about. You know, there's stuff that sneaks up on people. Who in the, who in the world ever heard of some of the... We, we, in, in the city of Cincinnati, for a while there, we were having a hundred young people die a weekend from fentanyl. A hundred every single weekend from fentanyl. My wife went with me. I think I was preaching in Dayton. We came home. We drove home. It's about an hour's drive home from where I was preaching. And it was daylight still in the summertime. It doesn't get dark till about 9, 9.30. And I pulled in the driveway at our house and there was all kinds of cars in the neighbor's driveway. I said, let's get this luggage in there quick. I said, something's happened. So we put it in there real quick and I went over to the house. She didn't go over there and I walked. I knocked on, the door was open. Uh, the screen door was closed, but the door and I could see into the living room. I've, known, I've lived by these people for decades. And I opened the door and the lady of the house, she saw me and she came and run in my arms and just wept on my shoulder. I said, what's happened? Brothers were there, cousins were there. And the daughter, the youngest daughter of the lady, her daughter had been missing for five days. Couldn't find her. Come to find out her boyfriend had beat her up. She'd overdosed on fentanyl and she had died. And her brother just happened to call the morgues around town and found her five days after she'd been killed. You know, we've been messing with a lot of problems today. Who would ever, I never even heard the word fentanyl when I was a boy, when I was a teenager, when I was in college, I never heard the word fentanyl. We live in dangerous days and we need to deal with these things in our lives and protect our homes and our families. It slips in to Christian homes and fine neighborhoods. It happens. God, help us to be careful. God, help us to deal with the Anakims and the, and the Els of Ashdod and Gaza and Gath in our own personal lives. Make the spiritual application. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you ought to become one. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I can guarantee you, if you'd ask the Lord to save you, let somebody take a Bible and show you how to be saved. You could be saved today and go to heaven. You know, one of these days in some church somewhere, the very last soul is going to be saved. It makes up that body of Christ. And we're getting out of here, friend. 
That's one good reason for witnessing. I pray quite often, God save, especially on Sunday morning, God save somebody somewhere to get us out of this mess. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. I pray you'd help us in our lives. There's Christians in this room that need to come forward and get in this altar and ask God, ask you to help them with some area of their life that they haven't dealt with properly. They haven't confessed. They haven't made it right. They haven't got it worked out. You've been dealing with them, Lord. I pray they get it settled today. Surely in this room there are some folks that are not Christians, never been saved, truly born again. I pray that the mighty, mysterious work of the Holy Ghost of God would work in someone's young life and make a difference today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.